Good morning. Our pastor has been leading us through the book of 1 John last several weeks. And today we come to the fifth chapter of 1 John, and you've already heard verses 9 through 13 read. A few weeks ago, someone over here was making an announcement or was telling us about some program in the church. And when he finished, he said, can I get a witness? And I think what he was asking the congregation for was support and encouragement and the assurance that it was worthwhile and that this was speaking of something that would be excellent for the congregation. So I thought, as I reflected on that, in relationship to this passage of Scripture, that'd be a, a good title for today. Can I get a witness? Let us pray. Lord, we pray that you will bless us, that you will indeed touch our hearts and minds and energize our witness through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. This is about witnessing. And if you listen very carefully, you might hear something about the theology of the incarnation, incarnational theology of Jesus Christ coming alive in us. And so I want to begin this morning by simply saying that the apostle reminds us today that if you have Jesus Christ, if you believe in God, then you have Jesus Christ in your heart. You can be sure of that. I want to tell you a story about a young man by the name of Billy. Let's call him Billy. Billy was a senior getting ready to graduate in this particular church. And I was asked as the pastor of that congregation to join the youth on New Year's Eve for the annual youth retreat, which I did. And the youth were gathered out here. They were kneeling at the altar. Some of them were sitting in the floor and some of them were sitting up here around this area of the altar. And as I was consecrating the elements, I heard Billy say, he was right over here, I heard Billy say, Brother Jim, I just felt Jesus come into my heart. And then in a moment, he said it louder, more loudly. And then finally, he said it in a way that I'm sure if there was anybody outside, they could hear what he said. Brother Jim, I felt Jesus come into my heart. I 
I think Billy was trying to express in the best way he could the assurance that his experience of Christ was real. That young man was born in the local hospital in that town. He came to church when he was just a few days old. His mom and dad, the rest of his family, his grandparents were in that church. He was baptized in that congregation. He went to some of the best Sunday school teachers that we have in the Tennessee Conference. He professed his faith and was confirmed in that congregation. He participated in all the youth programs and was very active in the congregation. And yet here he is on New Year's Eve at the youth retreat. He's witnessing to the truth that he felt Jesus Christ come into his heart. That's a wonderful experience. That's a wonderful witness. I'm reminded of May the 24th, 1738. John Wesley and Charles Wesley. Charles was the younger, John was the oldest. But John said that on that evening, he went to a society meeting at Aldersgate Street in London, and a quarter before nine, while the preface to the Luther's preface to the book of Romans was being read, he felt his heart strangely warmed. That he, as it was being read about Paul's description of the grace working in a person's heart, he felt that indeed his sin was forgiven. And he received another measure of faith. John struggled with some doubt. But you know, his mother, when she found out of this new enthusiasm that had come about, because it's agreed, the historians agree, that the heartfelt experience of these two men who were about 35 was the flame that set the Methodist movement on fire. It was the spark that was needed to move this into a greater witness. But their mother, Susanna, whom they adored and loved dearly, wrote them a letter. And as I read it, I couldn't help but think, Susanna, you're perturbed at these boys. And I think she was. First of all, she says, if you've had something, don't go and say that you never had it. Okay? And then secondly, she told them, uh, this is the way I would describe it. She said, don't go off the deep end. 
Okay? Billy did not go off the deep end. And yet he appreciated this experience because it gave him something that he was going to need later. Because you see, Billy graduated just like our graduates are graduating. He went on to college for two years to become a pilot. And in that second year, he got some kind of a mysterious illness, spent three months in the hospital, and then he passed on. But I've always felt in these years that Billy experienced what we refer to as assurance. But there is, my friends, there is an, an admirable doubt there, there is just something about doubt that it can be disarming, yes, but it can be very meaningful. Let me tell you about Betty. Betty was an older lady in this same church. And she would call me often and say, Brother Jim, come to see me. And so I'd go out and we'd sit on her front porch and I'd say, well, what is it this time? Try not to be disrespectful. And she'd say, well, Jim, I still, I'm still afraid that when I die, I won't see Jesus. And so I'd go through this, even though I know you don't, you don't win people by argument. I just think it's impossible. At least that's been my experience. So I say, did you accept Christ? Were you baptized? Did you repent of your sins? Do you believe in Jesus? Look, you worked all of your life in the church. But there's something about it that I've always appreciated. I think she was honest. It was honest doubt. And in that sense, it was admirable doubt. Do you remember the story of Thomas who was absent when Jesus, after the resurrection, appeared to the disciples? And when they reported that to him, he said, unless I see the print of the nails in his hands, and I see the, uh, 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 the wound in his side, I won't believe. You remember that? And then Jesus showed up later. Thomas. Thomas. At least you've been honest about your doubts. My Lord and my God. And I can't help but believe that when Billy and Betty, uh, our pastor mentioned during Sunday school today, he mentioned that incident in the scripture where the person said, I believe, 
help thou my unbelief. I think that's at work here too. But when they crossed the mountain over to the other side, I can't help but believe that Jesus was there. Welcome. And Billy and Betty said, My Lord and my God. Can I get a witness? Can I get a witness? Now, another thing. John said, he said, when you believe, you have the witness of people. But the witness of God is greater. And that spoke to me of Jesus' words where he said, You are the light and you're the salt. The light of the world and the salt. In other words, your witness is effective. So I want to tell you about Barbara. Barbara had raised her family. They were out and had been married. But she felt that her witness was not necessarily what it should be. And guess what she did? She combined her sense of well-being with action. And so she became a foster mother. Now, I don't know how this works, But it wasn't long until she had a small child, a young girl, and a boy that was going into his teenage years. And they were developmentally challenged. But you know, she took care of them, and fortunately, she's very well off financially. She loved those children, and as they grew, she brought them to MYF, as we called it back then. She went skiing. Barbara went to the mountain for campouts, and she'd always bring that little girl with her. And then one day we heard from her that she had been able to adopt that family of those two girls and that boy. And let me tell you folks, the action of our heart and soul became a great witness in that community. It in uh, the the passion that I saw and the work and the goodness was an inspiration not to the church only but to the entire community. So, when you witness, remember that it includes some activity, some energy, as you're able, so let your witness be. That's what John says. And then finally, I'm calling this the Alexander witness. John said, if you believe in the Son, you have life. Now, eternal life 
it's not just something we have in the hereafter. It begins on this side. And to believe is to have eternal life. And with this point, I'm going to talk about Ben. Some of you know the name of Ben Alexander. When this church moved from First Methodist to College Place, Ben Alexander, I think, had just finished seminary, been in the Navy, and he was your first pastor. He was great. People loved him. He lived a long and profitable, meaningful life in ministry, and he passed away not many years ago. I went to his funeral. Well, something happened at his funeral that this week I had to call his daughter about. Her name's Mary Kay Cohen. She's an ophthalmologist. So I said, Kay, I want you to tell me the truth about this. And so she explained it to me. A few days before Ben died, he had sat down at the dining room table talking to his daughters about his life. And they turned the digital recorder on. And at his service, which took place just a few days after they made that video, they did not know Dad was at the point of death. And so he died on that Friday evening, and they had their service on Sunday. But at the service, they played this video. And Ben says on the video, I'm about to experience what I have talked about all these years. The one that has the Son has eternal life. And that was Ben Alexander's faith, and that was his witness. Can I get a witness? Can I get a witness? Amen.